am so excited to be here. And in case you didn't know, there's this little holiday that's happening literally right now all across the United States of America called Halloween. And you guys are at church on Halloween. That's pretty incredible. Really excited that you guys are here. Like Pastor Mark just said, we are in week two of our series called Why Do I Still Care? And usually I am here on a Tuesday leading worship, but I love any opportunity to be with you guys here at the exchange at all because you guys are my favorite group of people. I love being here on a Tuesday. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm not just Josh and you or blowing sunshine up your skirt. I mean that. You guys really are my favorite group of people to be with. I want to say thank you so much to my dear friends Mark and Michelle and the entire exchange leadership team for allowing me the opportunity to be here and speak the message with you tonight. Week two, why do I still care? We're talking about some hard stuff in this series and that's why I like this series a lot. It forces us to focus and to talk about some things that we don't really like to talk about a whole lot. And one of those things is conflict which is what we're talking about tonight. Some of you just twitched, even just hearing me say the word conflict. It's a spooky word, which is pretty fitting for the evening. I say the word conflict and a lot of you get a mental image of a specific person in your brain and now you got a bad taste in your mouth. And it's true, no one likes to talk or think about conflict, but the fact of the matter is that conflict is everywhere all around us at all times. There is no way to avoid conflict. Let's do a little experiment. On the count of three, I want you to shout out the best basketball player in all of history. One, two, three. All right, there was a little bit of conflict. Whoever didn't say Michael Jordan, you guys might want to hightail it out of here after service is over or you might have some issues. Let's do another one. How about this? Starbucks coffee or Dunkin' coffee? Conflict. Okay, here's a really controversial one. True or false? Taylor Swift put Travis Kelsey on the map. Conflict. Y'all got some stuff to talk about later. And listen, while these things are just kind of funny and silly things that we disagree over, this is just a microcosm of the bigger things that we disagree over and find ourselves in conflict every single day. I think about all of the arguments that Arvin and I have gotten into that started as small, stupid, little misunderstandings. I think about all of the hours that I wasted waiting for him to figure out that I was upset with him, only to then find out that he had no idea that I was upset with him in the first place. And it seems like it might be easy to say, well, we just need to see other people's perspectives and we just need to stop arguing. Where's the love? We just gotta love people the way that Christ loves us. And while this is true and biblically sound, this is a lot easier said than done, amen? In fact, it was Paul in Romans chapter seven that groans about how he continues to do the wrong thing even though he knows it's the wrong thing and he knows what's the right thing is and he knows how bad the wrong thing is for him. God knew from the beginning of time that Adam and Eve would eat the fruit from the tree. He knew from the beginning of time that sin would enter the world and that us, his beautiful creation would be filled with anger and resentment and insecurity and pride and cynicism. The fact of the matter is that until Jesus comes back and takes us all home to live with him in eternity one day, there will be conflict. There will be. 
There is no way to avoid this. And it's silly to think that we could go about the rest of our lives engaging in community with other sinful human beings and think that we won't ever have to run into any tension. However, both things can be true. It can be true that as long as humans exist, there will be the potential for conflict. And it can also be true that we can do something about it when it arises. We don't have to fear conflict. We don't have to run away from it. In fact, we shouldn't. Avoiding conflict only grows the potential of it. Jesus was serious about the dangers of avoiding conflict altogether. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gifts at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is so serious about conflict resolution that he tells us to stop what we are doing, go and resolve the issue, and then continue on with our lives. He doesn't say get around to it when you feel like it. He doesn't say you can reconcile with whoever you want to and you don't have to reconcile with those you don't want to. He doesn't say any of that. He says, hey, this is serious. It is not good to be at odds with your brother or your sister. Do any of you have any siblings? Show of hands in the room. Siblings, 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 yes. I am the oldest of four. I have three younger siblings. And we all are very, very close. In fact, our entire family is a very close-knit family. You guys got like family group chats with like the funny emojis and the names? Yes, we have those too. And we send sibling memes to each other. We love to laugh and hang and get together and continue to further that close relationship. But how many of you know that with close sibling relationships also comes some tension and some hurt feelings. Anybody? I got a little sister. She hurts my feelings more than anyone on this planet Earth. And if you have a younger sister, you know what I'm talking about. I saw this meme um, on the internet a few weeks ago, and it was uh, actually a TikTok video. You guys on TikTok? I love TikTok, Loki. Don't tell anyone I said that. Um, It was a TikTok video, and it was this girl, and she was with her siblings, and they were going to fake an argument just so that they could record their poor mother's reaction. So they get together. They start raising their voice. They're hurtling meanless insults at each other. I mean, it means nothing because they're not actually angry. And they're, they're rising in what is this fake argument, and their mother comes running into the room, and she says, please stop. Please, please stop. It hurts my heart. Please stop fighting. And they burst into laughter. And I'll be honest, it was so funny. It was hilarious. And it's always funny to think about how my mom might react and how my mom did react a lot of times when we would be in conflict as siblings growing up. It's probably funny to think about how your parents might react. And it's funny until it's not. It's funny until it's serious. Because I imagine that that's how God sometimes feels when he looks down on all of his children, holding grudges against each other, hurting each other's feelings, neglecting the opportunity to reconcile and to live in peace and harmony as the body of Christ. Why should you still care about conflict and conflict resolution? Because it matters to God. It matters for the sake of the body of Christ. 
Conflict resolution is important because it's the first step towards living in peace and harmony and community with the rest of the Christian body. The problem is, though, is that we've got the world to deal with. And the world likes to tell us how we should do things or how we should act or how we should talk. The world likes to tell us how it thinks that we should deal with our conflict. And newsflash, it's not a healthy way to deal with conflict. Not only that, but our flesh is at war against us as well. So we're battling our flesh and we're battling the world. And what happens so often when we get into conflict? What's the first thing that happens? A lot of times we complain. That's the first thing that we do. And we don't complain to the person that we're actually in conflict with. No, we go to our parent or we go to our sibling or we go to our significant other or we will go to anyone really that tells us what we want to hear. I never would have spoken to you like that. I cannot believe that he said that. I would never let that slide. Or a lot of times, ladies, if you've heard this one, girl, he's a loser and a deadbeat and you deserve so much better. And ladies, sometimes that's true. Sometimes you deserve so much better. Sometimes, God love him, he's a boy and he's gonna say something stupid sometimes. Just know the difference. We all say stupid things. But this is what we do, even though we all say stupid things, we all sin, we all mess up, we still turn around on our heel, we go and complain. We dwell on what was said or done to us and we dwell on it negatively. We jump to conclusions about the other person's intentions and we fabricate these scenarios in our brain. We let people who were not even there tell us what happened and tell us how we should respond. Why do we do this? Because our feelings are hurt. <laughs> and what's the first thing that you wanna do when your feelings are hurt? You wanna feel better. What's the quickest and easiest way to feel better? Have someone tell you that you were right. We all know the person in our lives. I mentioned my sister earlier. She is the first one to hurt my feelings and also the first one to kill somebody else who hurts my feelings. We all know who that person is in our life, right? You just, you just got a mental picture of the person that you know that you could go to if you were ever in a position where somebody hurt you without hesitation, without a second thought. I know that if I called my sister up right now and I told her about how somebody hurt my feelings, she'd be gassing me up and she'd be justifying those hurt feelings even without knowing the full scope of the situation. But me knowing that, that's a dangerous spot to be because I know that she's going to tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. And when our closest people do this nine times out of 10, they are not ill-intentioned. They're actually just doing this because they really do love and care about us. They don't like to see us hurt and they like to be encouraging and supportive. The people who care and love us are so well-intentioned, but how many of you know that even in the midst of their best intentions, sometimes what someone is saying is still not helpful? Even though it may scratch the itch in the moment, complaining to people in an attempt to get them to say something that will make us feel good doesn't solve the issue and it doesn't satisfy the long-term craving for reconciliation and peace. In fact, going to others first and complaining often just leads to an ugly confrontation. Well, you just need to call him up and you need to tell him how it is. Have you ever gotten the text, hey, can we talk? 
Have you gotten that text before? Is that not mo- the most like anxiety-inducing text you've ever received in your whole life? What goes through your brain when you receive that text? Probably not good stuff. Do you, when, you, when, you re- when you receive that text, do you say, hey, can we talk? Do you think, hmm, I bet this person would like to have a calm, non-threatening conversation with me that will lead to peace and a better understanding of each other. I'm so excited. No. No, your hands get clammy, your heart starts racing, and your brain starts going back through your memory of all of the last interactions that you've had with that person. Okay, when did I say something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Is this going to be an awkward conversation? Are they going to get mad at me? And now, and now, and now... We're really tense, right? So what happens when we both walk into a conversation on edge, defensive, and unsure of the direction and the intention of the other person, this goes from a conversation to a confrontation. Now, it's every man for themselves. And yeah, maybe I did some wrong here too, but that's not exactly my focus right now. Now it's survival of the fittest. Now I'm in self-preservation mode. So there was the initial conflict, and we chose to complain to others first. This put us in a combative mindset, and now we find ourselves in the middle of a confrontation. And what happens when we start to feel confronted? We point fingers. We criticize. Well, I only said what I said because you... Da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, well, I only did that because you... Da-da-da-da-da. And at this point, now my spirit is at war with my flesh here. And maybe my spirit hears what you're saying. And maybe my spirit is feeling convicted by the ways that you're sharing that I've hurt you. But that flesh, baby, that flesh is thick. And you've got to get through my flesh first. And my flesh is out for blood. My flesh isn't going down without a fight. It's elastic. And whatever you throw at me is going to bounce off and come right back at you. Yeah, maybe I said what I said, but I only said it because of what you did. And you know what? We wouldn't even be in this problem in the first place if you you weren't so this and if you weren't so that. This always happens because you X, Y, Z. These confrontations rarely ever end well. In fact, 99% of the time, they end very, very poorly. Sometimes they have the facade of ending well. Right? But how many times do we agree to disagree still to just carry it home with us? How many times do we let the conflict fizzle out because we're tired of having the conversation in the moment only for it to rise up again in our hearts the next time that we see them? And how many times does this have to happen before we begin to expect it from everyone else around us? That's what this path leads to. Cynicism. We start to believe that everyone around us is only out to protect themselves. We look at every potential relationship through the filter and the lens of the last one that went south. We are wary of opening up. We are scared to let anybody in. And as soon as the first thing that goes wrong happens, just like that, we bail out. And we say things like, this is why I don't do church. This is why I don't deal with with Christians. Our cynicism leads to believe that we're better off without other people in our lives because eventually they're just gonna hurt us anyway. That's not God's will for the church. That's not the way it was supposed to be. That's not the way God's people are supposed to live. We're not supposed to walk around on edge 
wondering who's going to hurt us next and questioning everyone's intentions. I said it at the beginning of the message. Why should we care about conflict resolution? Because Jesus cares about conflict resolution. And if we call ourselves Christ followers, we should care about what Jesus cares about. Without conflict resolution, it gets pretty difficult for us to live in community with each other. And Jesus was also very serious, very passionate about his children living in community with each other. Jesus wasn't cynical. Jesus wasn't numb. He wasn't cold or difficult to reach. You think Jesus knows about being burned in relationships? He's been burned in every relationship he has. And he wasn't cynical. He was open and gracious and loving and merciful and forgiving. Jesus was forgiving. So if we know that this is the way our flesh naturally gears towards, if we know that this is the way the world tells us how to be, then what's the Christ-like way? What's the Christ-like way of dealing with a conflict? Well, let's back it up. Let's go all the way to the beginning. We're presented with a conflict. Instead of jumping straight to conclusions, instead of mouthing off to our best friend about how so in the wrong the other person was, instead of complaining, we're going to enter a state of contemplation. We're gonna contemplate some things. We're gonna take a little bit of time, cool off, take a sick day, get into a good headspace and think back on what really happened because sometimes when we're in the heat of the moment, we can't see clearly. It's kind of crazy to be asking this question in the middle of Tampa, Florida, but have any of you experienced like an icy snow day? Anybody? You would have had to leave here to have experienced an icy snow day. Answer me this. On a really cold, icy, wintry morning, when you jump into your car, are you going to immediately take off down the road? No. Why is that? Because the windshield is foggy and icy. What are we gonna do instead? Instead, we're gonna get into our car and we're gonna wait for just a second. We're gonna chill out, we're gonna turn the defroster on. And we're gonna let the fog and the ice melt away so that when we start driving, our vision is not obstructed. We can see clearly. In the same way with conflict resolution, we need to pause. We need to turn on the metaphorical defroster. We need to let the ice and the fog melt away so that our vision can be clear before we move forward. So when we contemplate, we're gonna ask ourselves some questions. What did I contribute to the conflict? That's a hard one. That's my least favorite one because it forces me to focus on maybe how I might have been in the wrong. And I'm never wrong, so that's really, really difficult for me. Here's another one. Is it possible that they didn't intend to hurt me? Think back on what you know about this person. Do you know them well enough to know the characteristics of their heart? Do they typically show the fruits of the Spirit? Are they typically kind and loving and warm? Is it possible that they just had a bad day? God forbid someone has a bad day. We have bad days all of the time. 
is it possible? Is there any possibility that this person, one, either did not mean to hurt me or two, has no idea that they did? Another question we might be able to ask ourselves is, did I do or say something that may have initiated the conflict? If I were to strip it down to bare bones, if I were to comb back in my memory and remember exactly what happened, is it possible that maybe I'm the one that started it? Is it possible that this all happened because of my ignorance, because of something I said or I did? Luke chapter six, verse 42 says, how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. When you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When we take a step back and we contemplate how this conflict arose, how it went and where it landed, sometimes it allows us to remove our own gunk, to remove our own garbage, to remove our own contribution, to remove our own sin before entering a conversation with the person who hurt us. Many times when we take the time to think about what happened and we are actually willing to ask ourselves the hard conversations or the hard questions, we find that A, either we have our own share in the conflict or maybe B, Holy Spirit gives us a softer heart towards the person that hurt us or C, sometimes we discover that it wasn't even that big of a deal in the first place. Working in ministry is sometimes like working in retail or customer service, because not everybody's gonna love you. And sometimes you have to tell somebody something that they really just don't wanna hear from you at all. And so it's really interesting, there's been times um, over the years that I've worked in ministry where I found myself in a conflict with a volunteer or with a coworker or a congregation member or a Karen in my email inbox, and that's just super fun. Which, by the way, if you have any beef with me for anything that I've said today at all, you can email all of your complaints to me at mhutchinson at gfcflorida.com. We can put on M. I'm just kidding. But that's the truth. The truth is that you can't please everybody. And there have been a plethora of nasty Instagram DMs from people who don't even go to Grace Family Church. They don't even go to the exchange, but they just want to have something nasty and negative to say. And when you're in charge of the social media page, you have to read the nasty Instagram DMs that people send your way. And you have no idea how much self-control it takes in my little thumbs to not reply something just as petty back in return. But when I pause... When I stop, when I breathe, when I contemplate, I come to discover that not every fight is worth picking. Not every hill is worth dying on. You know, it's very possible that we won't even complete the cycle. It's possible that after you contemplate, you decide that it's not worth it. You decide it's not that big of a deal. Not everything needs to be brought up in the pastor's office. Not everything needs to be a problem. Not everything needs to be brought to attention. Sometimes when we stop and we contemplate and we ask the Holy Spirit to give us peace in our hearts over the situation, sometimes that's all we need. We don't have to engage further. There have been plenty of times 
when I've stopped and I've contemplated and I've thought about the conflict and I've decided, you know what, Holy Spirit, I'm just gonna give this one to you because I don't think this one is worth any more of my mental energy. A few days later, you know what ends up happening? That person comes to me and apologizes. But what would have happened if I would have rushed that process? It probably would have gotten way worse before it got better. It does not have to get worse before it gets better. But let's say, though, for the sake of the argument, that after stopping and thinking through all of the sides and the possible reasons as to why the situation went left, let's say we decide that it is a conversation worth having. Well, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a conversation. A conversation, not something ugly, not the finger, well, you should have, none of that. If complaining moves us to confrontation, then contemplation should move us to conversation. One that is geared toward a solution with the kingdom in mind. When we enter into a conversation this way, instead of accusing and criticizing and reaching a point of fed up frustration, do you know what we reach instead? We end up reaching clarity. We have a better understanding of what actually happened. Because how many of you know that your side of the story is just one side of the story? There is another side of the story, potentially more than one. Sometimes clarity means understanding that person's point of view. Sometimes clarity means finding out that they had no idea that they hurt you and that they're really, really remorseful that they did. Sometimes clarity means finding out what makes that other person tick, what they're passionate about, what sets them off, what they're geared towards, and maybe that helps you understand them a little bit better. It softens your heart towards them a little bit more, and it helps you understand why they may have responded X, Y, Z to A, B, C. Do you know what I do when I know that I'm about to have a potentially awkward or difficult conversation with someone that I'm at odds with? I write everything down. I write down my questions, I write down what hurt me, I write down how I want to phrase things even. Because if you do that, it leaves no room for a slip of the tongue in the heat of the moment when you're passionate and angry. If I write down exactly the way that I want to phrase things, then I can answer to that instead of answering to my rash comments. Everything that I write gets filtered through two questions. Does this glorify God? And does this edify his child? Does this glorify God? Does this edify his child? If God was in the room next to me, which he always is, so we should start acting like it, would he be pleased or hurt by the things that I'm saying to his son or daughter? Would he be glorified in my attempt at reconciliation with my brother or sister? Are the thoughts that I'm bringing to the table going to build up or tear down the person across from it? These are the filters. These are the filters to keep. Does this glorify God and does this edify his child? And in confrontations where I have thrown these out the window, I have said and regretted some extremely hurtful things to people. Things that I never thought that I was capable of saying. But here's the hard and ugly truth. We are all capable of doing some really horrible, awful things to people. It's because we're sinful, because we're human beings. 
And thank God for those of us that have Christ in us because if not for Christ in me, there is no good in me. If I'm trying to resolve a conflict without the help of the Holy Spirit, I will get nowhere. I will continue to be tired and angry and stuck and confused. I will continue to be upset by the way that my relationships go if I do not invite the Holy Spirit into these conversations. We're never gonna reach clarity without Jesus. We're never gonna fully understand the whole scope of what his peace and his power can do if we do it without him. Maybe you've been that person, the person who has been said some awful things to, or maybe you've been the person to say some awful things. Sometimes we go to resolve things and we only make matters worse and so we just wanna give up. We just say, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing the whole people thing, the whole relationship thing, the church thing, the community thing. It always gets messed up, so just forget it. There's a better way. It doesn't have to get worse before it gets better. There's a better way. Matthew chapter 15, there's a section called Dealing with Sin in the Church. And we're actually not going to read through it, but I am going to put the scripture reference up on the screen. I want you to write it down, go home and read it. I'm going to give you just a quick little synopsis of what Jesus is talking about in this section. He gives us a step-by-step plan on how to resolve a conflict with someone. First, he says to go to them, which is what we've been talking about all night. Go to them. Have a conversation. Then he says if that doesn't work, you're supposed to bring in an unbiased third party, one that looks at both of you with love, one that cares about both of your sides of the story, and one that is determined to reach a solution that is kingdom-oriented and that brings peace in the relationship. Bring in an unbiased third party. And then he says, if that doesn't work, now you need to involve the church. Find your pastor. Find the leader of the ministry that you both serve in together. Find someone in leadership at your church that knows you well, that is, that is determined to help you come to an agreement, come to a resolution. And then you know what it says after that? If all three of those steps don't work, if it doesn't work to go to them directly, if it doesn't work to bring in a third party, if it doesn't work to go to the head of the church, it says to let it go. It says to move on. After clarity, what we reach is closure. The thing about closure is that a lot of people think that closure means we're best friends again. Closure means everything is great. Closure means I understand you and you understand me and it's like it never happened. Closure means we're stronger together after this. That's not always what closure means. Sometimes closure looks like praying for peace despite the lack of resolution. Sometimes closure looks like creating some distance. Sometimes it looks like establishing new boundaries with this person. Sometimes closure looks like ending the relationship, unfortunately. But sometimes that's what closure looks like. Sometimes it looks like taking a step away. If you've been in conflict with someone and you've tried 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 and you've you've exhausted yourself to the point of no end, sometimes closure looks like ending the relationship. But you know what closure never, ever, ever, ever looks like? 
Closure never looks like treating them differently or loving them any less. Closure is never going to look like treating them differently or loving them any less. In John chapter 13, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and I love to reference this scripture literally any time that I can. It says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A lot of times people misconstrue this scripture and they think that he's just saying, just love everyone. And it's like simple and not deep at all. But Jesus here is talking directly to his disciples. I'm giving you a new command. You need to love each other. You who call yourselves my followers, you need to love each other. Everyone will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love each other. Again, Jesus was not cynical. He wasn't numb, he wasn't cold, he wasn't difficult to reach. He wasn't standoffish, he wasn't isolated. He was open and he was loving and forgiving and he was so passionate about community. He was so passionate about conflict resolution because he knows that resolving the issues that we have with a brother or a sister is what leads us closer to unity in the body. And unity in love in the body is what's going to let the world know who we serve. It's the love that we have for each other. It's the way that we treat each other, despite our differences, despite our disagreements. It's that, that is what's going to let the world know who we are and who we serve. Some of you have been so upset in your relationships, so upset by the conflict that you seem to experience and I would venture to say that it's because you forgot what Jesus has forgiven you of. The greatest act of love ever displayed was an act of forgiveness and it was done by Jesus for you, for us. How quickly do we forget the things that Jesus has forgiven us for? How quickly do we forget the rap sheet of the ways that we've sinned against him? when we're in conflict with someone else, when we're so pent up and stirred up about what they've done to us. It's because of God's great act of love and forgiveness that we know how to love and forgive at all. And I recognize that it's possible that there's someone in the room that doesn't know this love and this forgiveness yet doesn't know Jesus, doesn't have a personal relationship with him, and maybe you've experienced a lot of the frustration that we've talked about tonight. Maybe you just can't seem to get it right in your relationships. Maybe you're at odds with your dad and you have been for 10 years and you don't even know how to have a regular conversation with him. Maybe you're married and maybe your spouse doesn't seem to give you the time of day and you continue to try and try and try and try, but to no avail. Maybe you've tried mending your relationships with your siblings that have been broken for more years than you can even count or remember. 
But if you're doing this alone, if you are doing this without Jesus, you will not ever get it right. We won't ever get it right. If I tried to resolve a conflict without the help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, if I tried to resolve a conflict the worldly way and not the Christ-like way, I will not get it right. I will continue to hurt. I will continue to pine after peace. I will continue to look for something that's going to fulfill me. And if that's you and you're here and you're sitting in these seats and you feel that thump on your chest because you know that that's you, if you're hurting from the relationships that you currently have in your life, you don't know where to turn next, the next place to turn is Jesus. If you want, you can walk out those doors and you can go try a bunch of other things, but I would not suggest it personally. You don't know when you're gonna take your last breath. You don't know when the next conflict's gonna arise. You don't know when you're gonna be your last opportunity to reconcile with somebody. You don't know when someone else's last breath is gonna be. Don't wait, don't wait. Everything is so much better with Jesus, but so is love and unity and community and church and life. It's so much better with Jesus. And so I wanna give you an opportunity if that's you, to know Jesus tonight. So I wanna ask everybody to actually bow their heads and close their eyes in the room. What's gonna happen is I'm gonna ask the entire room to repeat this prayer after me, but if that's you, I want you to make this a personal prayer. And I don't want you to just speak it out loud, I want you to speak it to someone. I want you to speak it to Jesus, if this is you tonight. Everybody in the room, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I'm tired of doing this alone. I'm tired of feeling hurt and exhausted and frustrated in my relationships. I recognize, Jesus, that the most important relationship is the one I could have with you. I know that you are the example of what beautiful community looks like, of what love looks like. Jesus, you are the example of what forgiveness looks like. So Father, forgive me. Forgive me because I have sinned against you. I admit my need for a savior I'm asking you to come into my heart to make me clean and to walk with me for the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.